All right. Welcome to the Joe Danier podcast. I am Joe Danier, your host. And I want to talk a little bit about a trust and authority. And you see this happen a lot with normal conversations is that you have different authority systems that people follow that regulate their behaviors and regulate their, their thinking. And so basically in technology, uh, there's always, we're always looking for who has the outermost trust authority because we are protecting ourselves from uh, corruption where people are hacking systems or trying to get places where they don't belong or taking something that they're not supposed to. And it also, you know, you have a set of rules and guidelines that you can construct, right? That are sort of like those nesting dolls where they fit inside of one another, but you're guided by these overall trust authorities. And when I see a lot of the dis disunity in anything, whether it be, you know, where you work or how you govern yourself in public with relationships, it's because we're all, we all have a different guidance system on who is the, the, the authority, who's good at things, who we believe and who we have faith in. And because we're not all having faith in the same things, a lot of times we can both be saying the same thing. I can argue with, you know, person Y, and we can be completely on parallel tracks. None of our ideals are going to ever intersect because of our trust authorities. And so getting an understanding of figuring out first who someone is beholden to or what something is beholden to. So I'll give you some examples of trust authorities. And we are sort of guided when, when you know, we're babies of who our outermost trust authority, who is responsible for X and Y. So when, you know, you're, you're completely in tandem when you have parents who make your decisions and, and, uh, basically uh, shelter you from any consequences. And as you grow into it, you take more and more responsibilities. And maybe instead of your parents being your trust authority, now you have a teacher that's your trust authority. Then after your teachers, maybe it's a professor, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a politician, maybe it's a governor, maybe it's a mayor, maybe it's a police officer. And you have all of these nested trust authorities who you will take guidance from and what kind of guidance. Like, do you, do you basically across the board take guidance from someone because they they are they are who they are. So if your favorite basketball player says wear these shoes, they're a trust authority and you wear the shoes. If they tell you who to vote for, you vote for them because of they who they are. Tell you what to eat, you take so we we compartmentalize and say who is the most valuable trust authority in a given sector. And it's okay to have different trust authorities. If you buy all of your shoes because LeBron James told you to, I'm cool with that because it doesn't affect me. But a trust authority that governs multiple people or that a trust authority can be that can compel you is where you start to have disunity, where if you don't agree with something because you don't follow the same trust authority, but someone is forcing you to, you are going to object no matter how much persuasion or how much compulsion you are going to reject that authority. And so sometimes just kind of knowing that that exists makes a lot of people more understandable because it's not necessarily what they're saying, but it's who they are is what's governing. So for instance, I had a nice drag out uh, debate and I love doing this on social media where, you know, you roll the grenade in and watch the things happen. And so you have two types of people. I am a libertarian. So pretty much I mistrust everyone. Like I don't give trust permanently. It is a revocable thing. And sometimes I'll revoke it just for the sake of making sure that it's solid. And sometimes um, I'll revoke it on a regular regiment to make sure that it's solid. But I always have to, you know, revoking it is just as important as granting it because if it's just granted, 
then it's not really a thing, right? If you can't revoke it, it's not really a thing. And, and so you, your trust authority has to be able to survive the scrutiny of, of, of the threat of revoking or ultimately, like I do, totally revoking. And so if you would break up with something and invite it back in, then that is the, the relationship that you should have with most things. But political arguments, there are some people that treat po politics like it were a religion, like it is an irrevocable thing. And so the most noble, in spite of all evidence, might be your government. So you could give your government $100. It could misspend it. And instead of saying, hey, Mr. Government, you were an idiot and you misspent it, you would then say, oh, you know what? You would lay down all of the cover fire for that entity, make all the excuses, go on the hook and, and peg your reputation and ask for another $100. And you yourself... Think of that person as the ultimate authority, and that's why it skews your perception of that authority can do no wrong because they've been granted an irrevocable trust authority forever, right? So I'm saying, as a libertarian, hate everybody, right? There are very few people should that, that is, could, should escape your gaze of criticism or cynicism. I want to assume, uh, unless I have tons of evidence that says otherwise, like, I will trust you, but then wait to make sure that I'm right. And then the second time I trust you, it's a, it's a little bit easier to let loose on some of the, you know, some of the, the leash. And then I can trust you a little bit longer length, but human beings are infallible. Right. And so no matter what, they're going to do the wrong thing. So my trust authority assumes that every once in a while someone's going to do the wrong thing. So let's just say I had an accountant who I gave exclusive access to my checking account. Would that be a smart move? Well, I didn't tell you anything about the person. So should accountants have exclusivity and should they have ultimate trust authority? The accountant part of their brain absolutely should. Their human part of their brain should not. And so you have to develop 90% of your processes to make sure the accountant gets to be an accountant 90% of the time. But 10% gets to know that sometimes they're going to behave as not Mr. Accountant, but Mr. Human Being. And all of your processes have to make sure to keep that person rooted and exposed out of being in the driver's seat. And, uh, and again, if, if, you know, if, you, if I can see it from a third party, because third party perspective, because I'm a libertarian, I see everybody misbehaving. I see everybody being corrupted. I see everybody making bad decisions. I see everybody not being good at math. I see everybody lying, cheating, and stealing. I see everybody, you know, doing things that uh, promote themselves and enrich themselves. If I see everybody doing that, then everybody deserves the criticism of knowing that everybody's doing that, not saying that, hey, you know what, your group, totally idiot. My, my group, hey, we're noble and we're doing it for the right reasons. You're all doing it and you all need to be restrained, right? Self-restrained. You, you need to say that you're that way and you need to do it on your own. It doesn't need somebody to come along and tell you what you're, you're doing wrong. So here's a good example of it. So I, I'm a Browns fan. And so I went to a Browns football game and the I'm sitting with, with a half Browns, half Ravens fan base, right? So a couple of people on my left were Browns fans. A couple of people on the right were Ravens fans. And they really, we really didn't interact with one another. But 
when any some anything would happen on the field, I would listen and listen to the conversations and listen to the reactions of people about what happened. If a flag was thrown, depending on which group you were in, right? You thought that it was the biggest bullshit call, right? Can't believe they saw it so wrong. And then the other side, like, heck, I can't believe somebody hasn't disqualified that team for being so egregious to my team. Because the tribalism, the team that you join becomes the authority and you lay down cover fire for the people who are part of your team. And so that that trust authority is directly connected to the disunity because it's, we're not even speaking the same language. We've picked a tribe and we will go and, and basically defend to the very end, no matter what the evidence or science or math or anything says, we will consistently be in the corner no matter what. So if you're, you're on your team and no matter if it's your team or not, there's ver there are very few instances where I watch a fan base go against its own team. Now, me as a Browns fan, I've been one of those objective, I've been since the 80s a Browns fan. So I'm allowed to condemn my team and make fun of my team and mock my team and, and be a critic of my team. So you never hear me on the bullshit end or the egregious end of that argument because I've am, it's a weird thing, but I'm not part of that tribe. I like football and they're my team, but they're not infallible. They make mistakes. They break the rules. And I watched the, the game play out anyhow. So I want to use that as an example because there's a billion different ways that human beings pursue things in their daily lives that we know that there's an unnamed trust authority that we're going by. So I, I'll, get, I'll put this question out to you. What about a secular society? What about a society that's decided that it wants to get its principles from something other than some kind of religion? Can it? Is it possible? I mean... I'm going to consider that it's a really bad pursuit. It is a really dangerously bad pursuit. We are malleable. Like we take on the, uh, the ideals of our environments. And so long that our environments and the people in it and those trust authorities are, are behaving appropriately, then we'll go right along with it and we won't really fight up against it. But if our environments suck and our people suck, we're going to go right along with that as well. And so the, the degradation of the standards, like, hey, here's the standard. And once you go below, it, you're like, oh, you know what? Here's the new standard. And you keep moving the standard until you got to the point where there really isn't a standard. There isn't a principle. So you can say, at least on the religious side, uh, you know, those standards and those principles and those rules, regardless if you agree with them, they're unchangeable. They really are, they stay where they're at and you can't really argue against them. And it's infuriating to some people as times change, how that those rules seem too rigid to accommodate. But one day you look back at those rigid rules and you're like, man, I really wish I wouldn't have, you know, changed those. And you can see that in, in regular, you know, rule sets. Like if you take a, an office that has strict standards about uh, attendance and punctuality and professionalism and language and all of those standards that we want to exemplify so that customers get a good experience. And then let's just say you start reducing them or too hard or whatever. What ends up happening? Well, you have a completely chaotic, uh, you know, anarchy that people who like sort of like consistency and reliability are going to feel really out of whack when nothing is consistent. It's all, you know, made up on the fly because you reduce those principles down to that, that sludge that's at the end of the day. So I'm a big critic of secularism. Now I'm not going to insist that you, you know, I know what's best for you and what uh, principles that you pick, but I'm, 
I'm thinking mathematically, it's better that you pick some of them rather than having none of them. And that's really where I'm at right now, where, um, you know, it, it it's it, just watching the reduction down to that lowest common denominator means that as, as we're sliding towards that social anarchy and everybody can't figure out why nobody can get along. And then we escalate where it goes from, you know, annoyance to, uh, you know, to more violent tendencies where you have went from keyboard fighting to physical fighting. There's going to be a point where somebody's going to say, hey, you know what? Uh, this sucks. But I, I always ask secular people, if we're not going to get our principles from a book, where do those come from? So if somebody is born in the middle of a, you know, in the middle of a jungle that has no interaction and they have nothing, no culture to predicate any of their belief systems on. They get to make it up as they go. I bet they behave pretty primitively until they run into someone else who's also behaving very primitively. And because those two primitive interactions are probably not going to be a great circumstance, that they figure out some rules that make those primitive behaviors a little bit more civil. And just like Animal Farm, you give a long enough timeline of primitive people butting up against other primitive people, they come to the conclusion that there might be a better way, and then they invent what's already been invented. So we took the, we, we said, hey, secular is a good experiment, and then through that secular deal, in the long term, like if you had those people in the jungle, it happened quickly. Here it's going to take a really long time because there's still some good parts that we inherited from the past culture, and it might become a completely different thing. It might be a primitive uh, you know, primitive flavor of principle. So, hey, if I went up and asked the secular version of you why you don't kill people, well, what, would, what would your response be, right? Is it, is there some kind of guidance somewhere? I mean, because I, I would say um, it would be because I don't want anybody to kill me and maybe I shouldn't kill other people, but that would be a sort of like a social uh, promise to everyone else. And if we put it down, say, okay, do unto others as those would do unto you. That seems like a pretty good one to write down. So it would be a watered down flavor of the same verbiage that the religious version of it would give you, but transcribed down to a secular version, right? Does this have an end where we have rules that you follow no matter what? Or what happens if you don't? Like if you kill people, is it just a legal ramification or is there some kind of, uh, you know, agnostic social repercussion when you kill people? Well, I'm going to contend that we're, we're, we're desensitized to it enough that death doesn't really, you know, it, it doesn't have that punch. We see it in movies and TVs. Uh, it's part of our social construct where we are um, justifying some death over another so if you watch that trajectory, I mean, if you desensitize death, maybe killing people aren't, isn't so bad. And maybe it's a good result and re resolution to some problems. And maybe if your enemy who is egregiously, you know, attacking your team, maybe death is is what's supposed to happen socially. And then maybe the whole overall becomes just as primitive as the two individuals in the middle of the woods. All right. So there's that next time on the Joe Danny podcast.